Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have Miss Gabriella Hoffman, commentator, Young Voices, very accomplished individual. She hosts the District of Conversation podcast. Looking forward to this conversation. Ms. Thanks Hoffman, for having me. how are you? Doing well, Dr. Ritchie, thanks for having me. Absolutely, we're gonna chop it up about gun rights in America, in particular constitutional carry laws that have been sweeping conservative states all across the country. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about constitutional carry. So if you would give us your sentiment and I will opine. Certainly, constitutional carry has kind of emerged as this ascendant policy, it's not a fringe policy. Believe it or not, it's actually being embraced by 22 states currently, and it just makes it so you would carry a gun without a permit. But 22 states, most recently Georgia and Alabama have adopted it. And it's certainly a topic that brings a lot of discussion, even amongst those of us who work in the firearms industry informally and formally. But it's certainly a policy that has garnered a lot of attention, especially whether or not it leads to more crime and whether or not it allows more people to have gun rights assured to them, especially in the minority community as well. So that's kind of constitutional carry in a nutshell, but I'm happy to break it down with you. Absolutely, let's start from the genesis of it, okay? The genesis is the constitution according to those that are pro constitutional carry. So do you agree that constitutional carry is simply an adherence to the constitution? I believe it it does fall into the confines, especially as a guarantor of Second Amendment rights. And I understand the concern with whether or not there's formal training associated with it, that just every person would be willy nilly allowed to have access to guns. But constitutional carry just makes it a little easier to obtain the ability or to have the ability to carry. Sometimes permits can be seen as an obstacle in terms of the cost, especially in more disadvantages, more disadvantageous communities, especially. That's kind of an argument for seeing it being ushered in. And there's also, I think it, it falls perfectly along the lines of it. I live in a state where I have to go through different tests and I have had to take my concealed carry and pay the fee and do different coursework. Virginia doesn't have that currently, but other states certainly have different rules, but I'm kind of an all of the above proponent. And if this advances the second amendment, as I believe it does, I can be in support of it, even though I live in a state that doesn't have it. You know, it's really interesting. You bring up some dynamics I would like to explore with you. Now, those who are proponents of constitutional carry, they say, well, having a gun or bearing arms is a constitutional right. And because it is a constitutional right, you should not be required to obtain a permit in order to exercise that right. You should not have the fee or the burden of paying for a permit in order to have that right or exercise that right. So let me ask you this question, is voting a right? Well, I'm not sure <laughs> what where to fall on that. I think it's essential and it should be accessible, but I believe the Second Amendment and voting are two different issues, so I don't want to stray now, away they from. They are two different issues. That's not what I'm conflating here. Pure, simple question: Is voting a right? I'm not sure I can intelligibly answer that question. I think it should be easy and it should be safeguarded. And I know that there have been different debates over access issues, but more and more people are voting. We saw in the most recent election. So I, I'm not sure if it's a right, we don't see it 
um, guaranteed in the Constitution currently, but there are certainly laws like the Voting well, Rights Madam, Act and others. You're incorrect on that. The Constitution does guarantee your protection to vote, and the Supreme Court has ruled that voting is in fact a right that citizens that are lawfully able to engage in voting do have. And since it is a right, the government must take appropriate steps in order to protect that right in the United States of America. I'm with the line of logic when people say, well, the right to bear arms is a right. True, it is a right. So is the right to vote, it is a right. It's a protected right, you have the right to vote in America. Where you all lose me at, Ms. Hoffman, is when you make the argument, which you have just made to me, that there are some people who say the fees are too high to pay for the permitting to get a gun. Or there should not be a prerequisite to get a gun because having a gun or bearing arms is actually a right. Okay, fine, you believe in constitutional carry. Well, why don't you all believe in constitutional voting? Because 20 years ago, nobody had to present an ID in the United States to vote. They simply were able to verify their information at their local board of elections and they could participate in the election. My point is a principal point, I'm making a principal argument. And the principal argument is this, based on the study done by New York University, we have more than 3 million individuals in this country who do not have the proper ID to vote. And that number obviously skews to black and brown folks who cannot afford it, nor do they have access to some of these entities, especially those in rural areas where transportation is lacking. So that becomes a real barrier for them to get the proper ID to vote. If you're making the argument that constitutional carry is a good thing because it is in fact a right, number one. And number two, the fees associated with getting a permit can be adversarial to some communities. Why is it you all don't make the same argument as it relates to voting in America? I think the firearms community is pretty divided over that position. I don't really focus on the voting rights component. If if I'm talking about Second Amendment, I largely prepare on that. But conservatives and libertarians have different opinions on that. I can tell you that. Personally, I may have a different opinion from some Second Amendment supporters, but I think they're slightly two different issues. And I think when it comes to, let's say you're talking about the identification component, there are a lot of more obstacles to obtaining a gun when a traditional permit framework is there. I have to present an ID anytime I purchase a gun, anytime I subject myself to a background check. And from what I understand with voting, having voted in many elections, I don't have to pay a fee to go vote. I just sign up online and it's really simple. And I would hope it would be a very simple process for everyone. Like I said, I think the Second Amendment is a slightly different issue. And I know Congress is debating that issue more broadly with respect to that. But I think they're slightly different, but they can certainly be debated. Sure, well, you know, you don't have to, you're not mandated to have an ID, you have to pay to get an ID. And some people look at that as a fee associated with voting. I understand that argument, but once again, it's more of a principal argument. Most people do have ID, as I said, New York University cited that roughly 3 million plus individuals who could actually vote do not have the ID to do so. But let me take you to Georgia House Bill 1358, because you did cite the Georgia version of constitutional carry. Now. I have to point out the background check issue. So in Georgia House Bill 1358, it says the House bill gets rid of the need for a license to carry a handgun permit in public. It also gets rid of the current background check requirement. This bill is being backed obviously by the governor who is in an election against former Senator Perdue. Do you agree that these bills should eliminate 
the bare minimum of a background check in order to obtain the gun. If you are purchasing a gun, even with permitless carry in effect, you still have to submit yourself to a background check. And I believe that's what the law would address to and, and would perfectly keep cohesively in line. Anytime you purchase a gun, even with let's say carry laws in effect, it doesn't take away from the fact that you still have to subject yourself to a background check. And I understand through the Georgia law with the permitless carry bill as much as the Alabama law, they have created certain carve outs. So if they're losing revenue to what would be available for going through the permitting process, they have created substitute funds. I think in Alabama, it's $5 million, but for carrying, um, there is a lot of debate over whether or not you do have a background check. But in the crux of this legislation, regardless of where it's been introduced, uh, if you are a prohibited possessor, you've, you're someone who previously has a crime uh, on your record, you have a criminal record, you're barred from owning a gun or having a permit, you would still be barred even with those new carve outs, with those new changes. But Ms. Hoffman, in all due respect, the law makes it illegal for a police officer to even check to see if you are in fact um, a person that can lawfully carry. The law prohibits an officer from saying, hey, let me run a check to make sure you are in lawful possession of this weapon you have inside of this facility or outside of this facility. Number two, 40% of gun sales in the state of Georgia take place by way of no background check whatsoever. Because private to private gun sales do not require a background check already in the state of Georgia. And now what lawmakers are trying to do, Ms. Hoffman, is create a special provision to even erode at that common sense dynamic. And I believe they eventually want to take this to the Supreme Court like they have done with other laws in reference to abortion. And remember, public policy survey, they polled Americans, 83% of Americans are for expanding the background check for gun owners. 72% of members of the NRA are for expanding background checks for gun owners. But you have not had one Republican bill that has actually said we need to expand background checks for gun owners or those who are would be gun owners in America. Does that not seem like a significant disconnect between the sentiment of the average American and the political class of the conservative party? I want to address that point you mentioned about the 97% who support universal background checks. In various different polling that has been done on the issue. Well, hold on, wait a minute, let me correct your numbers. 83% support enhanced background checks, 97% what the number you cited, they support background checks in general. All right, go ahead. Certainly, let me respond to that quickly. So in the methodology that has been done on polling relating to UBC or even so-called expanded background checks, a lot of the times the methodology is very flawed without acknowledging that there already are existing background checks in place. And when that is tested with public opinion and when people read more into it, they they see that that's very excessive to what is already had. It's an issue of enforcement when it comes to background checks. And I think okay. the polling does not recognize that. They don't take into account there already are background checks in place, whether it's for gun sales or going through the permitting process. And moreover, um, it has to be expanded upon a bit more with respect to that. And, I, and we were talking about private sales, even person to person sales do have to be subjected to background checks. It's a very small portion of it compared to where uh, gun sales typically go. But even if you're a person to person, private to private sale, you still have to subject yourself to a background check. That's not a requirement of the gun seller. If you are a private gun owner 
and you wanna sell your gun or give your gun away, there is no prerequisite in the law that mandates you give a background check to that individual. And here's the irony of that. If you sell somebody a car, most states actually require that you sell that car in good faith knowing that the person can legally operate the vehicle. But if you sell somebody a gun, there is no law mandating you to do a background check on the person you sell the gun to. Don't you find that a little antithetical to common sense and safety in this country? I think a very small percentage of those private to private sales could result in criminal activity. But as a good faith effort, I talked to lots of people in the National Shooting Sports Foundation across the industry. They will tell you that even smaller you know, individual sales, person to person, they still are very subjecting to background checks. You still have to do it. You just have to pick it up at a gun store after the fact. It all has to be legal. Okay, um, let me ask you about knives. Is a knife an arm? Do you have the right to bear knives? There has been legislation passed to allow legislation to permit it. A knife is a dangerous tool in the hands of a wrong person. So and it's I'm a gun. Certainly, but knives are actually more dangerous than AR-15s and different rifles, according to- Wait a minute, hold on, wait a minute, Madam. You said knives are more dangerous than semi-automatic weapons. According to FBI statistics, yes. Ma'am, cite the statistic for me. Yes, I believe it was a 2019 or 2020 FBI statistic, and I forget the year, but and it wasn't just knives, but it was knives and clubs and other different. Ma'am, what you're citing is an aggregate total of individuals that use particular weaponry. So we know that more people have used knives, have used sticks, etc., than have used guns. But there is no way you can use that data to say that a semi-automatic weapon is less dangerous than a simple knife. A handgun is a semi-automatic weapon and handguns are the most involved firearms when it comes to crimes get, committed by criminals. You get criminals. the point I'm making, the point I'm making is you've just proclaimed on this show that having a knife is more dangerous than having a semi-automatic weapon. We know that's not the case. That's but a handgun is a semi-automatic weapon as well. And handguns are commonly used Ma'am, I'm in- talking about knives in comparison to actual guns that shoot bullets. Which one is more dangerous? This it is depends a- on the individual who's using it. Which, and weapon, I could be, this is deadly. which weapon has the potential for the most carnage on average? Which one? I think either could be dangerous, just depends upon the person, the criminal who's using okay, it. Okay, so is a knife, do you have the right to bear a knife as you do have the right to bear arms? That's the question for you now. That's something that's being debated in Congress. Different state legislatures are passing, not so much to conceal, but whether or not you can keep it in your home. I, like I said, I don't, I haven't really explored the knife issue component too much, so I don't want to give you. Well, let me let me answer. give you some insight, and I want you to study this when you get some free time. The U.S. Supreme Court did settle this in District of Columbia versus Heller. Uh, where they said knives are in fact arms and covered by the second amendment, okay? Uh, And if you go back to your history, uh, many of the arms or the guns in question actually had a knife connected to them. So my question to you is this, at what point does it stop? At what point do we say there has to be some level of common sense interpretation of the constitution in order to make sure life and liberty is met as well? At what point are we okay? with lawmakers or even the court interpreting the constitution. Because you have freedom of speech, 
But if you use your speech to be adversarial in a criminal way against others, then the government can in fact infringe upon that freedom. So the same with guns and weaponry, there has to be common sense legislation. Nobody calls it speech restriction, but we call it gun restriction. Common sense should be common sense across the board, right? Unfortunately, a lot of the proposals that are billed as common sense are not common sense. However, Dr. Ritchie, I've seen this argued by a lot of gun control supporters over the years that putting in universal background check, creating a restriction to AR-15s is common sense. And you talk to most people, especially those who are not as affluent and want to be able to own a gun and they want to purchase an AR-15, for example, which is semi-automatic in nature. They would tell you that those restrictions making it harder, whether there's a permit to own a gun in some states like Illinois, whether there are other obstacles to obtaining firearms, they will tell you that those laws are not common sense. So okay, it has but wait a minute, let's go back to the NRA. Because you made an argument earlier and I wanna go back to it. You basically said, well, listen, the people that are polled, they may not have known about the current background laws that exist. And that may be the reason why the polling suggests that most people are okay with enhancing background checks. I wanna bring you specifically to the public policy polling survey again, they polled all NRA members and the NRA members 72%, 72 to 73% said they support expanding background checks. Is your argument on my show today that members of the National Rifle Association are simply not educated enough about rifles or guns to properly answer a survey question about expanded background checks? If it's an individual survey, it's not largely representative of all NRA members or even all gun owners. It, they could take a sampling, they, someone could claim they're an NRA member. You don't really have to show proof that you're an NRA member or a gun owner or a gun supporter. And they could selectively choose it and say, well, this is a opinion representative of all NRA members. I would caution your listeners to not believe that because NRA members are very diverse and even gun owners who don't belong to the NRA. Yeah, but that's what you said opinions. about NRA members. I didn't say that, I think the NRA members knew exactly what they were talking about when they said, no, we actually support background check and even expanding background checks for gun owners in America. It's you who have suggested that somehow these NRA members are not as informed as they proclaim to be. I never said they were uninformed. My reading into UBC and expanded background check is usually they'll pull people who are not NRA members who are gun owners. So, so they're I've lying, they just lie and say these are NRA members. I don't think they lie, I think you can pull NRA members, but a small sampling of NRA members doesn't represent all NRA members. Okay, all right, well I appreciate you being on the show, Ms. Hoffman, it's been a pleasure, thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Ritchie, nice to speak with you. Absolutely.